If there's true humility and concern for another, so that you're saying, I'm a sinner too, I know that. And my sin required the blood of Jesus Christ just as much as anyone else. Only then are you ready to say, my brother, I think there's a problem. So glad you joined us for today's Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chapel. In today's episode, Pastor Brian shares the second half of a lesson from Matthew 18. When dealing with conflict in the church, Jesus outlines the way to resolve this conflict in a way that leads to reconciliation and unity. You can find this lesson and many others when you visit unlimitedgrace.com. And while you're there, look for this wonderful resource from Dr. Chapel, Holiness by Grace. In this book, Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Let's hear now from Dr. Brian Chapel as he shares the second half of the lesson, Biblical Conflict. Well, I think of this passage a lot like I think of a fire extinguisher. I hope you never have to use one, but if you do, I hope it's a good one. This passage is one I hope you never have to use, but reality says you may. And so Jesus gave us a good one. Let's stand as we honor God's Word and see what Jesus' instruction is. When our words fail us and our actions start to throw some sparks, how do we use the Word of God to be the people He desires? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now what follows is the parable of the unmerciful servant, where a servant is given great mercy by the forgiveness of a debt from his master. But when that servant is approached by another who has a much smaller debt, that servant refuses to forgive the smaller debt. The conclusion is verse 33 as the master addresses that servant, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us and enable us by perceiving how great and good it is to have mercy toward others, even those who have hurt us or damaged us in some way, who owe us a debt. But for Christ's sake, help us to learn what forgiveness means and reconciliation and unity for our heart's sake, for the heart of others, and for the witness to a lost world that you call us to proclaim. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We recognize that this unity for which we're striving for as we handle conflict biblically is for rescue and reconciliation and the mission of the church and ultimately for our own discipleship. I recognize verse 17 is intimidating. If he refuses to listen to them, that is you and the witnesses, tell it to the church. This is not about tattling. This is about correction. That we would see spiritual danger and be so concerned for it that we would ourselves, as well as hoping our brothers and sisters in Christ, would put themselves under the submission of the church. We just vowed to that when Paul was an elder being established here, that we would put ourselves in submission to the church. It doesn't mean that we submit to every crazy thing. It does mean that we are under the authority of those who are seeking to discern the will of God. And in submitting ourselves to that authority, even to the authority of the Word of God, of what we do when we have conflict with one another, what happens? I'm forced to listen to other people. I'm forced to deal with other people in humility and compassion and care for them more than care for me. Discipleship is occurring. I am being changed. And the hope is that what is happening in the church is now beginning to spill over into marriages and into the workplace, the factory floor and the boardroom and the city council as well as the session and diaconate meetings. That we listening, hearing, humbling ourselves, desiring the good for other more than ourselves, are developing accountability before God and before one another. And we don't always like that. I mean, the whole notion of accountability, that somebody else can hold me accountable, is not something that we like in an independent age. But the membership vows that we took are not just idle ceremony. You know, we were saying that we submit to the authority of the church and to the peace and purity of God's people. Why? Because we know that it doesn't just change them. It's not just good for the church. It's changing us. The reality is for every disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are in life, you're either moving toward accountability or you're moving away from accountability. And when you begin to recognize accountability is something that is a blessing of the people of God, have you thought about this? Are you growing as God intends? Do you know all the blessings yet? That as difficult as it may be, it's, it's actually something that becomes a great blessing. I want you for a moment to just pity my children, okay? So here, here are my children. They are raised in a home where their dad is either a pastor or a Christian school administrator, and their mom is a choir director. 
which means the church is always looking at my children. As they are growing up, they seem to always be in the church. And I don't know how many jokes and scorn and ridicule and pity came their way because they had to spend so much time in the church. As they spent time there in the church and, and God's people cared for them, sometimes corrected them, well, sometimes poorly. But, but most of the people deeply care for them and their life gets entwined with those who, who lead by example and care and compassion and commitment to the Word of God. I look at my children now who, I confess there were times they didn't want to be in the church at all, I, I'll tell you that, who are now training their children in catechisms and Bible verses and praying together. And I just, I rejoice that the blessing they felt they received they are now passing to their children. That the discipleship they receive, they want their children to have. For all its ups and downs and difficulties, they recognize that discipleship was ultimately good for them. And they praise God for it. Now, I can try to make it all sound good, but you and I both recognize there are real problems with this whole notion of trying to handle biblical conflict in biblical ways. After all, if we're saying we should identify what people are doing is wrong and approach them one-on-one and then two-by-twos and then take it to the church, what about those verses about not judging other people? Okay, hard talk, straight talk. First church that I pastored out of seminary. I was only there about six weeks when I discerned that one of my church officers was living with a woman, not his wife. And when I said to some of the other officers and people in the church, hey, what, what, what gives here? Here's, here's a man calling himself not just a Christian. He's an officer in the church, and he's living with a woman, not his wife. What was the most common verse people quoted to me? Judge not that you be not judged. Is that really what the Bible is saying? Is the Bible really saying, just look the other way. Don't be concerned. I mean, after all, if you just look in our passage right here, verse 32 When Jesus is talking about somebody who's doing something very wrong, he puts his own assessment in the mouth of the master. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you plead with me and you would not forgive someone. You wicked servant. What a judgmental statement. Is it judgmental? It's true. It's it's identifying. Nowhere is the Bible saying, "Just, just don't ever think about sin or judge anybody else as wrong. The Bible does not say that. You take the Apostle Paul, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The judgmentalism that's just kind of reflex and hurts people and puts you in the driver's seat without considering how you yourself may be needing to be corrected, that's what's forbidden. But, but not making no judgments, you know, that, that's, that's not what's being advocated. I think of Paul when he actually addresses the issue in Corinth of a man living with a woman who is his father's wife. Paul says, it's actually reported among you, such as is not even among the pagans, a man living with his father's wife. And you approve. I have already judged him, and you should too. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Is it not those inside the church that you should judge? Oh, 
That's a little bit different perspective. If you're really going to deal with that question about never judging people, you ought to actually see where the verse originates. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus talking. If you've got your Bibles open, look at, look at Matthew chapter 7. Same book that we're in. Same Jesus talking. What does he mean when he says, don't judge that you be not judged? Matthew 7, verse 1. Everybody knows this one. Judge not that you be not judged. Does that really mean saying never evaluate sin in any way, or is it talking about something different? The something different is verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, just think about that. When we judge other people, well, what a silly, awful, immoral thing. What a terrible gossip. What an ignorant person. How dare they be so selfish? Every one of those judgments is being recorded on a little memory card right next to our heart. And when we stand before the great throne of judgment, there's going to be a USB port right there that we have to take the card out. Every judgment that we made is what's going to judge us. Now, that's judgmentalism, that I don't recognize the judgments, the measurements I make are ultimately going to be used for me, which means I should be approaching other people with humility. It does not mean that I should not be approaching them at all. Very same passage. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now, here's the important part. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If there's true humility and concern for another so that you're saying, I'm a sinner too, I know that. And my sin required the blood of Jesus Christ just as much as anyone else. Only then are you ready to say, my brother, I think there's a problem. But it is also your obligation to say, my brother, for your sake, I need to talk to you about something. You're listening to Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author, Brian Chapel. God instructs us in His Word to be holy as He is holy. How can God expect us to be as holy as He is? Such a standard seems either to ignore our frailty or to impose certain failure. That is, until we understand how God views us. In this challenging yet heartwarming book, Holiness by Grace, Dr. Brian Chapel illustrates the principles of grace, the practices of faith, and the motives of love in living a life of holiness. Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Holiness by Grace draws straight from the heart of God, as Pastor Brian's encouraging words will help you understand that your holiness is not so much a matter of what you achieve as it is the grace that God provides, a grace so rich as to make the pursuit of His holiness your soul's deepest delight. You can request your copy of Holiness by Grace 
when you go online to unlimitedgrace.com or by calling 844-41-GRACE. That's 844-414-7223. And now, more from Brian Chapel on today's Unlimited Grace. Always the Bible is telling us to judge humbly and justly, but not to fail to judge at all. What, what if the problem is not your problem? If the person who sinned did not sin against you personally, you got no dog in the fight, no skin off your nose, then what? No, the goal is still heaven and concern for others. So the Apostle Paul, of all people in the book of Galatians, talks about he had to confront Peter. Do you remember the problem? In Jerusalem, Peter, the great one who's received the mercy of God, who's been forgiven three times, who's who's understood the gospel is by faith in Jesus Christ, Peter is stopping associating with Gentiles at meals. He he begins to say, well, they're unclean. I don't like their dietary habits. I'm just not going to associate with them anymore. And Paul says, Peter, how can you do that? He actually says what he does, Galatians chapter 2. I had to oppose Peter to his face. Why? Verse 14, I said to Peter in front of others. Why? Because the sin has gotten public. Peter's actually telling other people not to eat with the Gentiles. He says to Peter, since you have discarded Jewish laws, why are you trying to make Gentiles honor them? Since we know a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. My concern for the heart and the heaven and the eternity of other people means that I will try to protect them, even by challenging people in the church who are damaging the testimony of the gospel. And Paul even is willing to go to Peter to judge the sin that is so obviously against the gospel. Well, what if it doesn't work? And we go through all the steps, what if it doesn't work? Well, if it doesn't work, the first step is to take the next step, right? I mean, that's, that's the recognition of Jesus. If one-on-one doesn't work, go in twos. If twos doesn't work, then take it. There's, there's a process. So we do recognize we take next steps if needed, And then perhaps to surprise you, we take no further steps than are needed. We take no further steps than are needed. For what purpose? For the purpose of the expansion of the gospel, rescue, reconciliation, and mission. This is not a math formula. This is people seeking before the God with wisdom and humility to do what is actually best for the gospel. These are the steps that we must follow if we enter a process of reconciliation. But candidly, folks, nothing is saying you have to enter the process if your heart is still going to stay good toward that person. That you have to enter the process or to conclude the process. You may simply say, it's not good for me to keep pressing right now. How do I know that? Proverbs 19.11, it is a man's honor to overlook a sin against him. First Peter, there's Peter again. First Peter 4.8, above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 
Or verse 33 of this very passage. If you've received mercy, why aren't you showing it? We do what is right for the other person, for the church, and the mission of the church. And that is a prudential call and a pastoral call. There is not a math you put on it. One of the things that you, that you so fear in the church that people who are just aggressive about these standards, which are just as damaging as people who are passive about these standards. We, we want people who are leaders who care and are thoughtful. I, <laughs> I think of it just in terms of what it means to be a wise parent. Now, I, I, just honestly, I can remember the seminarian who on Father's Day, he was single and he had no children, okay? And he was instructing all the fathers how to raise children. And he said, so fathers, if you're going to be faithful to Scripture, you need to correct every sin that your children commit, which either is going to kill the child or kill the father. <laughs> you make judgment calls. You make prudential assessments of what is best for growth and health. And so we must do. The choices that are not ours are anger, bitterness, strife, conflict without following the steps. But sometimes love covers a multitude of sin because it may be better for that person that we swallow hard and love long. To me, One of the most classic examples of this was early in my ministry where I was at a general assembly where still a lot of the founders of this denomination were living. One of them was Old Palmer Robertson who wrote classic books of theology that almost every pastor studies. The other was Jack Williamson who has argued before the Supreme Court of the United States as an attorney for the defense of the church. And And these two men who were co-founders of this denomination were at odds on a particular issue. And I remember a young man standing up and, and saying, I'm just really struggling. I look up to you men. I, I treasure what you have done. And you have spoken with such anger and odds with each other. And, and without him even saying it, I watched the two men get up from their seats, walk to the front of the platform, across to the front, and embrace one another. I don't even remember the issue. What I remember is what unity shows for the church of Christ. When God's people can love past their differences and when the differences are dividing them, find a biblical way to reconcile. Christ is honored. The church advances. And eternity is made plain to people who need to know what it means to be made right with God by someone who forgives even the undeserving. Hi friend, this is Pastor Brian Chapel, and I hope this message today has been a blessing to you. As we finish up, I would be honored to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us the grace of Jesus Christ through the conversations and interactions he had with all kinds of people, the anxious and the proud, the religious and the outcast. When we understand Jesus' relationships with other people, we get to know his heart and understand his ministry was meant for people like us. So, Lord, we ask, please forgive our sin, pardon our past, and love us for eternity. We confess we don't deserve any of that, but you sent Jesus for the undeserving. So we rest our souls on his promised grace. Each of us now prays in our hearts. May the one who died for my sins now rescue me from my guilt 
and may his love now live in my heart forever. As you pray that, you have Jesus' assurance of his love. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's Pastor Brian Chapel, and you've been listening to Unlimited Grace. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Chapel, you can find a collection of valuable resources at unlimitedgrace.com. When you visit, you will find today's message and many others from Pastor Brian. Also, be sure to request a copy of Dr. Chapel's book, Holiness by Grace. We'll send you this book right away as our way of saying thank you for your most generous financial support. Please be sure to join us next time as once again we endeavor to put Christ at the center of our efforts so that lives might be transformed by His unlimited grace. This ministry is brought to you by Unlimited Grace Media and continues to be made possible with your generous financial support.